0: Fieldwork acknowledges the traditional custodians of the lands on which our podcast is produced. We would like to pay respect to their elders, past, present and future, and extend our respect to all First Nations people.
1: There were demonstrations to decriminalise homosexuality. And I was politicised by the gay movement. I decided I would always be who I was. And that's a thread that runs through all my work.
0: You're listening to Fieldwork, the podcast on contemporary Australian art. I'm your host, Drew Pettifer, and in Fieldwork, I bring together conversations with artists and experts discussing key themes of contemporary art practice. Today on Fieldwork, queer rights and representation with William Young.
1: Although my name is spelled Yang to Western ears, although it's pronounced Yang, that's the Chinese pronunciation, and so that gives me a lot of grief.
0: William is a prolific storyteller. He uses photographs and narrated slide projections to explore his identity as a gay Chinese Australian. His work is a rich visual archive of queer histories as well as a personal exploration of his Chinese heritage and family relationships. William's visual stories are often inscribed with his signature handwritten commentary, offering insightful reflections on cultural identity.
1: So I am Australian-born Chinese, and I've lived in Sydney for over 40 years, working as a photographer. But I'm best known for my performance pieces in the theatre, where I talk on the stage with image projection and music. Good evening, I'm William Young. I had a boyfriend, Alan. We made love the second time we met. And then I became his once-a-week boyfriend. He had others.
0: This is taken from William's performance piece, The Story Only I Can Tell, recorded earlier this year at the Wyndham Cultural Centre.
1: He was very different from people of my generation, gay men of my generation, because we had absorbed society's loathing of the homosexual. We were in some ways self-loathing. We had internalized it all. But. That's what gay liberation was all about. It was about liberating ourselves from society's negative attitudes. In
0: most Fieldwork episodes, I host a conversation about a theme of contemporary art practice. We talk about the ideas behind an artist's work with a non-arts expert in that field. That's then contextualised within the arts through a brief interview with a curator. In this episode, we're changing things up. I interview our three speakers separately and in more depth. We'll hear from former High Court Justice Michael Kirby about his dedication to issues around HIV and AIDS and sexuality.
2: And therefore we were seeing ourselves, and William was holding up a mirror to ourselves of what we'd looked like at a very frightening period in the lives of everyone who went through that time.
3: Most people have never met a person with AIDS. They only come to know about AIDS through cultural products what they hear about aids from television shows and films and and going to art galleries.
0: Paul Senjuk is an Associate Professor in History at the University of Adelaide, with a focus on public health in Australia. We'll weave in and out of these conversations. But first, back to William.
1: Well, I started off as an architect. Then I became a playwright. I dropped out of architecture, but I found I couldn't make a living as a playwright. So I turned to photography and I found that I could make a living as a freelance photographer. I wasn't that good at photography, but I managed to be able to do certain jobs and get people to pay me for them. I came to Sydney in 1969, the same year as Stonewall, about which I'd never heard. And coming from Brisbane to Sydney, Meant that I was coming to a new city and it gave me a chance to reinvent myself. And in the early 70s, I was able to come out as a gay man fairly painlessly because there was the gay liberation movement. And I always say I was swept out. So I was around during those early times. I wasn't that political, but I, I did go to the parties and. I did see the birth of the modern gay movement in Sydney, Um, so I was more interested in the parties where the men took their shirts off than going to the meetings, but it's impossible not to be politicised once you come out as a gay person. So I was involved in the gay community, not so sure if I was conscious of what the social ramifications were, but I I was connected with the community through my friends. And later, two of my very best friends were Peter Tully and David McDermott, the artists. And so it was through them that I became connected with the art scene. David was probably the first person who was a gay identified artist and I could see through his work what a gay identity might mean and so it gave new meaning to a whole lot of things that I had in my photographs but hadn't quite realised what their cultural significance were. I think they probably had a big impact on me. Not that I tried to imitate him, but I certainly saw my photographs of Ken's Karate Club, the Gay Sauna, in a different way. And looking back at them now, it's amazing that they even let me take photos there. Not so much the owners, they were okay about it, but the people were much more open to photography Then, if I went into a sauna now, people would run, they'd complain. But there, there was a certain license in the 70s because everything was new. And uh, there was a feeling that anything goes and it was gay liberation. So we were forging new paths then. It, It was a lot freer. I mean, the, the, the times are very difficult to describe now, where everything is so conservative. And it was an exciting time the 70s, so different from what it is now.
2: It was a very schizophrenic period. It began with a lot of optimism, uh, courage and determination as the early steps began to happen to get rid of the criminal laws without changing which it was impossible really to make much progress in social appreciation of the rights of the lgbt community i'm michael kirby and uh, i was a justice of the high court of australia and uh, i've also had quite a lot of connection with international bodies that have been dealing with issues of HIV and AIDS and also of human sexuality. I was a member of the Global Commission on HIV and the law. That commission made a lot of recommendations relating to the reform of the law in many countries where that law impedes the AIDS response and that includes the laws that um, discriminate against same-sex sexual activity. That early period around about the time of the so-called first Mardi Gras was a time when the laws and social attitudes were beginning to change. The change in social attitudes was made evident because the changes in the law had to be submitted to the approval of, in Australia, state parliaments. Uh, and uh, that led to debates in Parliament. All of this is recorded and all of it shows the rather slow progress uh, and resistance and hostility that was faced by the endeavours to change the law on same-sex sexual activity. But it started to happen. 1974-05 in South Australia led off, Then there were changes in the Australian Capital Territory and in Victoria and in other states. Eventually even Queensland and Western Australia changed and then finally Tasmania changed in 1997-8. The changes in New South Wales were slow in coming and that led to a lot of protests against the Labour government led by Neville Rann but eventually they too changed the laws in 1984. But by that stage, or soon after that, uh, 1986-87, the HIV epidemic struck. And therefore, no sooner had we begun to see the changes in the law signalling a change in uh, social attitudes um, and acceptance, Uh, then we began to see people getting extremely sick and I became involved in the HIV epidemic both nationally and internationally because uh, uh, prior to that time I had been the chairman of the Australian Law Reform Commission. It was the coincidence at the one moment in history of the beginning of the changes in the content of the law with the changes in society because of the HIV epidemic and the profound impact of that on the gay community that um, made it a a very mixed up period of um, national and community history.
0: Mm, Most definitely. I'm wondering how important you think visual representation and visibility uh, was for those changes as well. Again there were artists like William Young making work and and particularly photographs I think were important for shifting some of those social attitudes. Do you have any opinion on how important that, that representation and
2: visibility might have been? I think it was important um, but don't forget that most people in society at that time and even to some extent today don't live their whole lives tossing and turning in bed, worrying about the gay community. Most people don't particularly want to think about the gay community at all. They, even people who have a tolerant uh, attitude, I hate that word, just uh, quite happy if you don't mention it. In a sense, the Freudian compact that was made with gay people was We'll leave you alone as long as you don't force your reality upon us. Mm. So uh, William Young had a challenge to e- express his photographs and their uh, chronicle of the LGBT community and of the AIDS epidemic in a community that basically in the 19, late 1980s, uh, 1990s, didn't really want to know about it, because it was a fearsome story. The uh, dreadful uh, chronicle of the early days of AIDS was uh, a terrible time to live through, a very frightening time, when many gay people, including myself and my partner Johan, began to lose a lot of friends and to go to funerals, um, and uh, William Young also chronicled them. So. All of it is tremendously important from the point of view of the archives of the LGBT struggle for acceptance and for law reform and for justice and equality. But if if I'm asked did it have a big impact on the general community in the 1980s and 90s, I think the answer to that is no but it did have a big impact on the gay community because it was our chronicle. And in some ways it functions
0: more powerfully today as an archive of that, as you alluded to, I guess, in some ways as well. It has a greater significance.
2: I think it does, and for the reason that now that people are more comfortable generally to communicate about the existence of gay people in their midst, uh, it's a bit more interesting to them to see the chronicle of our suffering at that time which basically had to be kept quiet or people would face a double whammy. The revelation of their health predicament and the revelation of their sexuality and because both of them were discouraged and feared and sometimes hated that made it a very hard time and I look back with pain thinking about how hard it must have been and was for those who were infected with HIV at the time when just being gay was a kind of infection and something horrible that people didn't want to know about. They knew gays were out there they could narrow their eyes and realise that they were out there, but they wanted them to stay out there and they wanted them to be as quiet as little mice, so that they didn't upset the reality of their world, which was an assumption that there weren't very many gay people, that they were basically choosing this horrible lifestyle, as it was called, and that really they ought to keep quiet about it and be thoroughly ashamed of themselves that they were acting in this fashion. All of this of course uh, artists like William Young challenged and um, it had an effect on us because it reinforced our demands for equality and that there were a lot of us and we weren't just the tiny minority uh, that had been thought to exist at the time when you couldn't mention such matters. It's too shameful.
1: Another theme of sadness was the gay community in Sydney in the grip of the AIDS pandemic. I hadn't seen Alan for about four years and I was in Ward 17 of St. Vincent's Hospital when I walked through one of the rooms and I saw Alan and I recognised him immediately. But he had changed. He seemed like an old man. He was in and out of hospital and each time he came he'd bring decorations. He tried to add colour into those drab hospital walls. And he kept a diary in which he wrote in all his hopes and dreams and all his deepest fears. He wrote, I think more people die of self-pity than die of AIDS. I suppose I didn't have a clear idea of... I knew that it was happening, we were living in difficult times during the AIDS era, but I don't think that I ever consciously Or or perhaps subconsciously, I knew I was photographing AIDS or something like that. But there's there's my famous set of photographs, which is probably my best work, called Alan from the monologue Sadness. And it's 19 photographs of Alan, a young man um, who... Died from AIDS. The photographs are taken over a period of less than two years so there was quite a big transformation in him just over 18 months or something. And then there are the vigils and I've been showing photographs of the vigils just recently and people have been very moved by that to see a whole sea of people who are kind of there's a solemnity to the vigils of a huge number of people and when i think about that period i do think that it was like going through a war which is a large number of people around you dying and so that's very scary and it has you have mixed reactions to it Um, You're sad and you're frightened, you're anxious, and sometimes you just want to let yourself go and um, live life to the max or something like that, or you're depressed by it, or you can't cope. So it's a very difficult time. I think that probably my body of work from that is important because there was also, allied with that, there was ACON, the AIDS Council of New South Wales, they commissioned me a few times to do safe sex posters, and so that they were interesting too, I think. Definitely um, works by you, and there are other
0: ones by David as well. My yes, mm. um, I think it was a really interesting decision by ACON as well to actually get artists and people who were part of that community to produce the work. I think it made it. It cut through in a very different way than it would have if it was produced by some marketing firm.
1: There was Safe Sex Summer. That was a general one. Then I did one, Love Him Safely Every Time, which was targeted towards gay Asian people. Mm -hmm. And there was a banner that was written in six different um, Asian languages. And then after that, there was another campaign directed towards gay Asian men which were a series of postcards and so I did that for ACON and it it was a bit about community and um, just encouraging people to use condoms that was the gist of it
3: In terms of the Australians, you know, there's not that many people, in fact, hardly anyone, still working in this field where they're sort of exclusively or, or largely making work about the HIV-AIDS epidemic crisis. And that's just due to the nature of HIV-AIDS in Australia. We've moved beyond the, the crisis point, and artists have moved on to go and write about other things and, and make work about other things. Asylum seekers, climate change, Indigenous disadvantage, those kind of things, but politically engaged people anyway. My name is Paul Senjuk. I am an associate professor in the Department of History at the University of Adelaide. I research mainly on Australian history, but also on the history of public health and illness and disease. And my first book was about the history of the of Australian responses to the AIDS epidemic. I first come across the work of William Yang when I was in honours and I was in Perth. I was writing an essay about newspaper portrayals of people with HIV AIDS. And again, I've, I've interviewed him, I've spoken to him about this. He never went out consciously to photograph AIDS or to become in politically involved in the AIDS crisis and to make some sort of statement about it. He was just photographing his friends and people in his community and some of those people were dying of HIV AIDS. And so it just it was very natural for him to start taking pictures and it was very natural for them to allow themselves to be photographed because they trusted him. was one of their mates or people he was sleeping with or people he was partying with and it was you know a a natural enough thing and that's what makes his work so extraordinary as well when some of the famous american artists were making work about aids or, or taking photographs they lacked that that personal connection and they ended up taking pictures of people as specimens as curiosities as diseased where william's pictures are always about people first, people who happen to have this life-threatening or even life-ending illness. So that makes his work very special.
0: So that goes some way towards humanising the subjects in a way?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, 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 know, you see people in his works being touched, where in the 1980s it was actually really hard to find a photograph of a person with AIDS being touched by someone. It expressed that fear, that paranoia that people had about the, uh, about the disease. And then, of course, when he talks over the pictures, when he shows them in this in this monologue, he talks, uh, and he'll talk about sometimes sleeping with some of these people. It takes that to a whole new level. Not only are they being touched, but they're still sexual beings. And in the 1980s and the early 1990s, we did not regard people with AIDS as sexual beings, as people who could have, you could have sex with. They were, they were seen as dangers, people to be shunned, um, ignored... I mean, William's work is really important in terms of providing that, that crossover to, say, a straight audience who might not normally want to see works which deal with gay sexuality or with AIDS. So you have, again, art as being a bit of a gateway drug to take to the masses really at quite challenging themes and, uh, and challenging ideas. But Australia was very... Um, fortunate. We had some very enlightened people in government. We had a Labour government in power after 1983. One of the agendas of that government was to bring in a universal system of healthcare, which we now have called Medicare. And the, the health minister that was able to achieve the introduction of Medicare against the opposition to quite hostile forces was Neil Blewett. And because he was successful in doing that, he was entrusted in a whole bunch of other areas to just to go and run his portfolio without too much oversight from the Prime Minister or from other sort of right-wingers within the Labor Party. And so when he decided to get interested in AIDS, which was a disease affecting mainly gay men at the time, it might have made people feel a bit uncomfortable, but he was basically trusted that he knew what he was doing and he would be able to do that. He went to prove that this, this policy based on trusting people, empowering people, consulting people, can actually work. The United States doesn't do any of those things. Mm-hmm. It's a policy which gets runs by doctors and bureaucrats. They don't fund community-based organisations. The gay community organisations were wonderful, but they had to do all the funding themselves. Whenever they did get any sort of funding, everything they did got vetted. So if anything looked to be too sexually explicit, if the messages were too sexually explicit, they were told that they would be defunded.
0: These representations of gay, queer life back at that time were kind of revolutionary, they hadn't been really represented before. I mean, in the history of photography you have these kind of, I hate the word homoerotic, but these images which clearly have that kind of subtext. But for the first time really in that era, artists like you are presenting this reality.
1: I think that a lot of people, especially straight men, all just found that very challenging seeing the male figure treated as a sex object where traditionally it had always been the female figure and I do think that a lot of the kind of uncomfortableness of, of this was internalised by the, let's say straight male viewers uh, to generalise and so they probably didn't relate what they were feeling to that, but but they might find a technical point about the photography to criticise. Homophobia was cultural. Even the gay men had internalised homophobia and that was what liberation was about. And so I did feel that there was resistance to my work some people embraced it but there was a a large section of resistance to it which I don't think people were would really speak about it that much of course
0: and I think it comes down to the idea that these straight men you talk about they don't like the idea that they can be objectified but suddenly they become this kind of object where they're being judged, like you say. Yeah, so It's so really it's a a re- it is a
1: reversal of, that's it. of um
0: of normative of ways of looking
1: yeah, in gender right. terms. Gen- yeah. gender stereotypes. That's yes. It. But I think it's interesting that you
0: mentioned that idea around how your work was perceived back then because I think it seems to happen to a lot of artists, particularly photographers, that as their practice goes on and they become more established, that's kind of forgotten a little bit. I mean you know, you look at Mapplethorpe shows these days and they're roundly lauded and on in the big museums and everyone loves them, but they have the, works in them that back when they were first
1: produced caused outrage. That's right, 40 years later this they're is in a, the museums. And similar record. to your work, maybe. Yeah, I think so. I'm sure that I had a lot of detractors. In fact, people tell me stories about how they were in... College or something, and their teachers told them what an evil person I was, and not to go, yeah, not don't to go be and see him. his show. <laughs> don't go and see his show; it's rubbish. Oh. But um, yes, I am finding that that um, those sorts of shows have got more traction now that they've passed into a kind of historic context. They've been diffused in a way that those photographs.
2: But William was a bit of a pest. He would turn up at uh, many functions that I attended and he would be snapping away and taking photographs. He really um, did a great service by uh, recording that period of history. Of course, not everybody wanted to be photographed. Not everybody wanted to be associated with the epidemic. Not everybody wanted to be associated with the LGBT community. And so he had to be a bit careful himself about that. I don't think he was very careful about it. I think his view was, well, that's just too bad. If you don't want to be photographed, you shouldn't be here in this public space at a time when we're talking about a matter which is a life and death matter for the gay community and its members and its members' families and the friends of gay people who are falling like leaves A very, very frightening time. Uh, Johan and I lost 12 close friends who died of AIDS.
1: We supported the Yes campaign in the recent national postal vote for same sex marriage. We supported it because it was about equality. So we don't necessarily want to get married. But I was so thrilled with the result of that plebiscite. I've also thought that that marriage equality thing was um, incredible, really. For someone who grew up in the, the... let's say from the 60s, attitudes in the 60s, where homophobia was really deeply culturally ingrained, even to people who were gay. I yes. mean, it was just a fact. that It was structurally embedded. Too. Yes, I a mean, structurally you, embedded. You actually had laws against it yes. at that time.
0: Where it was illegal to be gay, effectively.
1: Yes. And so um, to go from something like that to the postal vote, and there was fighting, I mean... In some ways, it was better that, that it happened this way. It shouldn't have happened this way, but it was a, an undeniable victory. And, and that's very satisfying, I think. And I'm also even amazed that the general social population actually approved of gay marriage. I so mean, resoundingly, too. Yes, so, so I thought that was amazing. Mm. I see marriage equality as equality. I wasn't really fighting for marriage, I was fighting for equality. The image of gayness has changed now to a kind of respectability, because that's how we're accepted. And um, the darker side is probably not even mentioned now. But I've got a partner and um, we're not getting married. Or at this stage, we're not we're not <laughs> rushing out to get married, but I'm just thrilled that it's happened. Really thrilled, and it, it changes a pattern in your life. You can be yourself with more confidence.
2: You, you have to face certain realities about Australia and. They include that it's really quite a conservative place. It is a fairly prosperous place. It is a place which has, um, by world standards, low levels of crime and violence, and it has orderly institutions. People don't want too much change. So uh, you've got to, in some ways, present things in a way that will be acceptable to that society. And that was the objective of the campaign for marriage equality I strongly objected in principle to a plebiscite this is not the way laws are made in Australia and it hadn't been attempted for a hundred years since the plebiscite on uh, the overseas service for Australian servicemen in the First World War and I therefore um, was very strong against that and spoke often and uh, loudly against it I was told that that was not fitting in well with the AME campaign. I then had to judge whether I would remain silent, though I regarded that as a both as a lawyer and as a citizen and as a, somebody who was gay as really a very bad precedent, a bad development. Well things have changed, but every change is like drawing teeth and we shouldn't be so self-centered that we're only thinking about the uh, soggy community. Uh, sexual orientation and gender identity after all are not the only issues of inequality. There's a the little issue of the way we treat the Aboriginal people. There's the little issue about the way we treat women and the disadvantages women suffer in law and in society. There's the issue of the way we treat race and people of different ethnicity than the Anglo-Celtic majority, there's the issue of climate change, there's the issue of nuclear disarmament and our government's silence on these issues, and there's the issue of uh, ongoing needs for change in respect of gay people. So there's plenty of issues and they tend to move rather slowly in Australia. My final question is how important you think issues of
0: representation, the arts, visibility might be for some of these social issues as well?
2: I think they're important but they're possibly not as important as artistic people think they are. Like lawyers they tend to be a bit full of themselves and they are inclined to think uh, how important they are and what a dramatic impact they have on society. I don't think Australians are particularly artistic in their inclinations. I mean, there's a big minority who are very passionately interested, but you can get a a taste of this by the amount of money we devote to the arts and the fact that it's always hostage to reduction or, or abolition without too much protest. But all that said, that doesn't undervalue the importance of the artistic communities in... Interpreting Australia and holding up that mirror. Fieldwork is
0: produced by Shannon Goodwin and me, Drew Petifer, and supported by Bus Projects. Audio production, editing, and mixing by Beck Fari. Our theme music is by Martin King. Lachlan Sue is our graphic designer. Our intern is Jake Davies. Special thanks to William Young, Michael Kirby, and Paul Senchuk, and to the Wyndham Cultural Centre for providing audio of William's performance. That's it for this episode of Fieldwork. For past episodes and information on how to subscribe, head to fieldworkpodcast.com.au. In our next episode, bioethics with Stellark and Peter Singer. The notion of the
1: human, uh, I suspect, will be much more different, you know, in in a hundred years' time, in a thousand years' time, than it is now. I don't think that we necessarily or to just draw a sharp line and say we're for genetic therapy but we're against any genetic enhancement. That's next time on Fieldwork.